Welcome to Mission Matters, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old mission that is SLU, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. A common theme in the writing and speeches of Pope Francis is the need for encounter and the mutuality implied by encounter. In the early days of his papacy, he had an informal interview in which he encouraged his bishops in particular, but also priests and any one of us working in the Catholic healthcare or Catholic education system to become shepherds who live with the smell of the sheep. He said, if we don't do this, then we gradually become managers or worse, we become little messiahs who believe that we are the ones who have something to offer to everyone else. When in reality, when we reach out to those who are marginalized, to the poor, the homeless, the imprisoned, all those who are invisible in society, we actually become the mission field, receiving messages of love and hope and transformation that are absolutely critical to our lives of service. So here we are again with Mission Matters, and I am really happy to have you, Paul Lynch, here with us today to talk about the Prison Education Program. So talk to us about that. What is it? Where did it come from? How long has it been in existence? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Virginia. It's great to be here. Um, The prison program, the prison ed program started in 2007. Um, It was founded by, uh, the founding director was Ken Parker, who was a former colleague in theology. He was watching 60 Minutes one night, and there was a segment on the Bard Prison Initiative, which is a prison program um, from Bard College in upstate New York. And he thought to himself, why don't we have something like that? And basically just that was the beginning. We started asking around and talked to his chair and then talked to the dean. And and everywhere he turned, people thought it was a great idea and supported it. So it began at at where we still are, at the Eastern Reception Diagnostic and Correction Center in Bonterre, Missouri. Okay. Which is, um, that's our first partner facility and the longest one we've had. And that's a medium to high security prison, men's state prison in Bonterre. And it began with a theological certificate program, so five courses in theological studies because Ken was in theology, and that's how he got to do it. And that went really, really well. And so a couple years later, the Department of Corrections invited SLU to create an Associate of Arts degree, which is basically a two-year you know, uh, degree, the kind of degree you get at a uh, community college, uh-huh. junior college, uh-huh. halfway to a BA. And that started in 2007. So since then, we've graduated our first class in 2015. It takes about four years to complete because we do one course at a time, so it goes a little slower than a, that degree normally would, and we're set to graduate our second cohort this fall. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. With degrees in theology? No. Our curriculum now is just basically based on the College of Arts and Sciences core curriculum. So it's 61 hours, and they take the exact same courses with usually the exact same professors that any SLU student would take. So three courses in theology, three in philosophy, three in English, you know, the usual breakdown that any kid in the College of Arts and Sciences here on campus would take. Fantastic. So how did it evolve from strictly theology all the way through arts and sciences? Basically, that was just a matter of the the Department of Corrections seeing this Mm -hmm. and seeing that this program was going really well and, and 
um, wanting to expand it and asking us what we were able to do. And the Associate of Arts degree seemed like the, the thing we could most readily do. Um, and that's a degree that when students eventually are released, they can take, and they're two years away from finishing a bachelor's degree at that point. The curriculum is designed, as I say, based on the College of Arts and Sciences core curriculum, but it's also set up so that it's transferable to any other Missouri institution, essentially. They're all from Missouri, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So they actually graduate with a SLU degree. Yes, they yes. have a SLU degree. That's right. Um, in addition to that program, since then, we developed the Prison Arts and Education program, and that, that began almost as soon as the AA did, and that's basically a collection of different things, a speaker series, workshops on anything from drawing to yoga to chess. We get people from the oh, chess great. club go down there and, and talk about chess and chess strategy, had performances from the Chamber Music Society of St. Louis and, and oh, wow. uh, folk musicians. Um, we've been involved with the National Endowment for the Arts Big Read. Um, so every year, there's a, you know, we pick a book, and everyone who wants to participate reads it and discusses it. And that's been going, as I say, almost since the beginning. And then in 2016, um, we developed the college prep curriculum, which is basically a two-year curriculum, non-credit bearing for students who might have a high school diploma but not feel like they're quite college-ready yet. And so they can do this as a run-up, perhaps, to studying with us or oh. to going somewhere else. And at that time, we also expanded to two other prisons. So we work at the Federal Corrections Institution in Greenville, Illinois, across the river, which has a, a big men's prison and a smaller women's camp, kind of a low-security prison. We work at both of those places mm-hmm. now, too. Wow. Yeah, so it's grown a lot in just our 13 years of existence. That's amazing. Yeah. Have you found that as uh, the SLU community has gotten more familiar with it, that more and more faculty have wanted to jump on board? Yes, I, yes, we, we have. I get emails all the time from faculty saying, is there some way I could teach in the program? Is there some point at which, you, you know, this is what I do. I don't know if that would work with the, you know, the curriculum. Is there some way you could fit me in? And so we have a lot of interest. And, and also I get emails all the time from people at SLU who are involved in other work in the university who just say, hey, do you guys need this? Do you, you know, do you need disability services? Is there stuff we could be doing to hook you up to other entities in the city working on criminal justice? So it attracts a lot of people who want to get involved. And, and the faculty uniformly say it's, it's one of the most meaningful teaching experiences of their careers. The guys are deeply committed to their studies. They work very, very hard. They read the material sometimes two or three times before class, right? <laughs> uh, no one's on a phone. No one's on a, no one's on a laptop. They are plugged in. So it's, it's really rewarding teaching. What do you think, too? Like, how does that kind of an experience speak to the heart of one of the professors? You know, I think it's because... It's education, I think, in some ways for why most of us got into this Hmm. in the first place, which was for the love of learning and the desire to continue studying and talking about ideas, books, theories, you know, equations, whatever it is. In some ways, there, there isn't an immediate benefit for a lot of our incarcerated students. Many of them will remain incarcerated for quite a while after they're done studying with us. So the benefits are more personally transformative. Mm-hmm. We Recently, the, the Alliance for Higher Education Prison had its convention here in St. Louis at last November, and it featured a lot of speakers, a lot of whom had graduated from prison programs across the country. And again and again and again, the word I heard was 
transformative. This was a transformative experience for me. It wasn't about practical considerations, though, of course, prison education has huge practical benefits. The main one being that it reduces recidivism dramatically. The more education incarcerated people get, the less likely they are to ever end up back in prison upon release. Study after study has confirmed this. And, of course, that's a hugely important thing. And I'm looking here at your website. That's right. a 0% recidivism rate. Yes. None of the guys who've graduated from our AA program and have been released have gone back. I forgot to mention, too, and I should have said this earlier, the other feature our program has um, that makes us unique in the country is that we offer the same courses, the same AA program for prison staff. And at the very beginning, when Ken Parker was setting this up, he tells the story of talking to one of the wardens. And, and they were interested in it. And, of course, we all this programming is offered free of cost to all the students. And everyone thought it was a great idea, but one of the wardens sort of somewhat sardonically said, you know, I'm still paying my student loans. It would have been nice if this had been available for me. And so that led to the idea that if we were going to offer this to the incarcerated individuals upon care, we should make the same offer to the staff. And That's so phenomenal. that makes our pro, we're the only program in the country that offers the, the same programming to both incarcerated and staff students on site. You know, there are other programs. So they take other. classes together? They don't take them together. <laughs> okay. Right? They're, in, they're in separate classes, um, but they take, very often they're taking the same class at the same mm-hmm. time or they'll, they'll switch. You know, we do, the, the guys inside just finished history two with Nate Millette, uh, faculty in history, and now he's gone over to teach the staff students the same course. Okay. Um, I, we were, I was talking to one of our graduates once, one of our incarcerated graduates, and he told this funny story about sitting in a cell one day and um, one of the uh, corrections officers kind of sidling up to him and saying, hey, uh, you guys did Econ 1900 already, right? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And the, and the guard said, when, and I don't remember what the problem was, but the guard said, when, uh, on, on this issue, like when you got to this, what did you do with it on the midterm? <laughs> and he said, well, I did this, this, and this. And the guard said, oh, good, good. That's what I did, too. <laughs> you know, those exchanges are informal and kind of ad hoc. But I think it's really important that, we, that we're committed to both of those groups of people. And for, and for the prison staff, this can have really, you know, positive effects that, that you know, increased study can obviously lead to further study at other institutions, but also might move them up on pay scales and, you know, make them uh, ready for other positions yeah. and advancement. So it's it's nice that we have both things. Yeah. Well, and two, what I'm hearing you say is that the education that either the inmates or the guards are receiving doesn't just help them personally, it actually helps them interpersonally. Yeah. And it, it increases some of the interaction there in a more positive way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think one of the things we hope is that, and I think this is true for prison education across the country, as I say, some of our graduates will, will remain in prison for quite a while, yeah. but it has personal effects on how they're living their lives right. and while they're in prison. We hope. Well, it's interesting, too, because I'm, you know, that notion of transformative, mm-hmm. whether it's transformative for the students, for the professors, right. for the prison system itself, there's transformation going on. There's there's a redemption going yeah. on, just a redemption of mindset, even, right. or a redemption of stereotype or expected outcomes. I think that's right. I mean, I think the big mindset that gets redempted in this is assumptions of those of us who have been lucky enough, and I use the word lucky advisedly, not to have any contact with the criminal justice system, to learn that these students, despite the fact that they're in jail, they're human beings. You right. know, if, if, if you're like me, and as I say, you're lucky enough to have not had 
run-ins with the criminal justice system or not have family members who in jail, which is, <laughs> with our problem of mass incarceration, becoming increasingly less likely. Uh, you know, you, everything you think you know about incarcerated people, you learn from the movies. And so right. you go in there the first time, and I remember the first time I was teaching there, you know, it's kind of intimidating. You go through the bubble, and these doors clang shut, and walking past all this razor wire, and uh, all these gates are closing behind you. Everything buzzes. You have to wait to open everything. Yeah. Everything's got to be closed behind you. And then there's this huge yard you walk across, you know, with a ball field. And a. And I was, I have to admit, I mean, I was really nervous walking this long. You know, I'd never been in a prison sure. before. And all these guys are coming back from dinner, uh-huh. right? And so I'm kind of walking there. And, you know, they said crazy things to me like, good evening. Hello. <laughs> How right. are you? Right, yeah. Normal I mean, human interaction. Normal human interaction, right. And that's always been the experience is that they're students. Some of them are really good at things. Some of them are good at different subjects. Some of them have to work harder than others. Yeah. So the category they were in for you before, it sounds like there was this unknown. Yes. And unknowns always make us fearful, yes. right? And then all of a sudden, it wasn't an unknown. It was human interaction, yes. normal, regular interaction. Right. And now as a student to teacher, ah, that's a relationship I'm familiar with. Sure. Absolutely. So how has the entire program transformed you? Uh, that's if a you're question. willing. <laughs> no, I can try. Um, well, I, as I said, I think one thing it's done, it's just reconfigured my notions of criminal justice, of guilt and innocence. I suppose before I started this, I would have described myself more left-leaning side of things already. But getting a full sense of just how many people we incarcerate in this country, mm-hmm. for what kinds of offenses, how... People of color and the poor are vastly overrepresented in our incarcerated populations. And the the devastating effects on families, you know, as I've been familiarizing myself with kind of the literature on prisons, that's something that comes up again and again and again, is that when someone does time, their whole family does time. Right. You know, a lot of these guys, they have children, they have partners and spouses, all those people, they may not be inside with them, but they're all doing the time with them. I mean, one way it's been transformed is to, just to rethink how we as a country handle the problem of criminal justice. And I, I think modestly hopeful that there does seem to be a dawning sense that the way we're doing it isn't working <laughs> and maybe exacerbating the problems rather than solving them. A lot of the, I think, the reemergence of prison education comes from that dawning sense that our approach isn't working. In 1994, the omnibus crime bill that was passed and signed into law, basically canceled the Pell Grant program for incarcerated students. Up until that time, incarcerated students, like any student in America, could apply for Pell Grants and use them to pay for education. Okay. At its height, the expenditure for prison Pell Grants was less than one-tenth of one percent of the entire national program. But in the early 1990s, this sort of tough-on-crime ethos developed, and the Pell Grant program was shut down because it was thought, why why are these criminals... Get this benefit. Why are we making it easy? Why are we for making it easy for them? There were maybe eight hundred to a thousand prison education programs at that time, and this decimated them. Wow! Right, because so early nineties, yeah, said? It was early in the nineteen ninety four omnibus crime bill. That's kind okay. of a, a before and after date in prison education, and that just killed programs across the country. So when SLU came back on, or SLU entered into this, we were one of the early programs kind of coming back online in the wake of this. We've been very lucky to uh, get a lot of foundation support. Um, And our corporate and foundations 
support office here at the university has been hugely helpful. Mm. Without them, we'd be nowhere. There's a second chance Pell initiative now. Okay. Started in the Obama administration to try to let Pell Grants be used again and to mm. kind of pilot some programs. We're not doing that yet, but a lot of other programs are. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's dawning on everyone that this was a self-defeating form of punishment. Yeah, yeah. an added punishment. Yes, <laughs> as though prison itself were a pretty serious punishment right. already. So it's it's curious to me, as you're talking and you're just talking about recognizing your students as, as human beings and not right. criminals or right. people in the system. Right. I think sometimes when it comes to criminal justice, we think, well, if, if folks are in prison, they've done something horrible that they need to make retribution for. Right. All right. Maybe so. Maybe so. But that means they've done something. It's not that they are something. Right. So our behaviors and our actions and our decisions and the things we do, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody messes things up yes. to lesser or greater degrees yes. and to lesser or greater experiences of getting caught and yeah. punished for it. But it doesn't change the fact that who we are, each one of us, is a human person in relationship to everyone else. Right. So I think that's one of the things that captivates me about this education program is that it's addressing folks in prison as people and not just prisoners. Right. I mean, the other thing you asked earlier about how does it transform my own attitudes, one, one thing it's really done is to make me realize that there but for the grace of God go I. I mean, a lot of the guys we work with went away when they were 17. I look at a 17, I mean, I look at our freshmen and I think they're babies, right? Imagine being younger than that and being sentenced perhaps to life in prison for um, some crime that maybe, maybe you were involved in. But we now know. I mean, we have the science to demonstrate. 17-year-olds, I think we knew this already. I don't know why we need the science, are not fully capable of making rational decisions all the time. And then you take, you take a 17-year-old and put them in a situation, a neighborhood, a place where there's a lack of opportunity, a lack of good educational opportunity, where there may be crime, poverty, other social pathologies that they're facing. Where all the odds are stacked All the odds are them. stacked against them, right? And yet, as a society, sometimes we, we still treat those kids or think of those kids as, well, you're a rational actor and you made a choice. That's a, I think, simplistic way of thinking of it. Yep. People sometimes say it's so great that they get the second chance at an education. And our response usually is, well, actually, for most of our guys, it's their very first, first chance. chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is the most, for you personally, what's the most exciting part of the work? For me, it's it's the teaching, it's getting in the classroom, and it's just getting to know these guys. I feel very lucky with our current cohort of students who are about to graduate. I taught English 1500, which is our first-year writing course, same one that kids here in St. Louis take, and I taught it to these guys. So I was the first, it wasn't the first time they encountered someone from SLU or SLU faculty member, but I taught the first credit class with them as they began this journey. I feel really lucky that I'm, I'll be able to see them through the the end of this. And I I think for me, the greatest pleasure from it is just getting to know them, like as with students here and seeing them and just chatting with them. I was down there the other night because we had to get some photographs taken for some publicity stuff. And so I was there supervising that and just talking to the guys, how's this class going? How's your last class? You know, I saw a couple of the guys from our college prep program that's going to start up their courses are about to start up again in a few weeks and excited about what they're doing. For our big read book, you're reading In the Heart of the Sea, which is a book by Nathaniel Philbrick. And it's basically the true story of the book on which Moby Dick was based. Oh, okay. So this is the story of the whaling ship that Herman Melville heard about and then wrote Moby Dick in part in response to. And this book is fantastic. It's gripping, 
scary. You know, I, I read it in the day. I couldn't put it down. And I was talking to a couple of college prep guys. So you excited about the, the book project? And one of them said, well, I've, I finished it. I couldn't stop. It oh. was so good. And, and so we had this great conversation about this book and what, what he was thinking about it and what he was drawing from it. And uh, other than the fact that he's in a gray uniform, mm-hmm. right? It changes clothes. He would look like any kid here at yep. SLU. But I think that for me is the greatest pleasure is just th- those kind of moments of just talking to the guys. Yep. Yeah. Have you uh, had experiences of any of the, your students expressing gratitude for the opportunities? Oh, all the time. Yeah. yeah, all the time. You know, when we had to do these photos and I said, guys, do you mind being in some of these? It's, it's going to help with uh, some stuff we need to do. And they all volunteered immediately, you know. Um, when we ask, occasionally one of our funders will ask for a testimonial from a student. You know, just to get a sense of what what is this, and whenever we ask the guys to do that, they always do, and they write these beautiful things. I think they're well aware uh, of the the opportunity and very and very grateful for it. But you know, as always, I'm much more grateful to them because Absolutely. this kind of teaching, once you get in that room, it's just it is thrilling as a professor because they're all plugged in and they're there and they want it you know a lot of the guys are older they've made some mistakes in life as we know they have a deep sense of how fortunate that this is available and and they respond to that by pouring themselves into it which is a professor you know ideal world it's an ideal world right so how much of your time is this it's about half of my time okay. now. Um, so I, you know, I'm an associate professor in English, and I'm, you know, I'm still doing, you know, teaching obviously in the English department and, and working on other research and other things. But it's about half my. It's a, it's a big program to run. I'm very fortunate in our program manager Julie O'Hare, who's been with the program just about since the beginning, and manages a lot of the day to day operations. And we have a great team of faculty who are the various coordinators. Devin Johnson, who coordinates the prison arts and education, uh, my colleague in English, Scott Berman in philosophy, who does the academic side of things, and Emily Lutensky in American Studies, who kind of runs the college prep. Bonnie Wilson in econ is the, we have a, we have a student organization, the Inside Out Alliance, that has a chapter at Bonterre and a chapter here, and Bonnie is the faculty um, wow. liaison for that. So I'm very lucky in the people I get to work with here in St. Louis. So uh, it's, but it's a big program, and there are a lot of pieces. And and you know, working with the prisons are not easy. Our our prisons are underfunded, understaffed. Missouri corrections officers uh, rank 49th in the nation for pay. In an economy like this, there are other things available. And so I, the last I heard at Bonterre, they were understaffed by well over a hundred positions. So the, the day-to-day running of the place can be very, very difficult, and that impinges on what we do. So, I mean, there are headaches with that, but we muddle through it. Wow. And what a systemic problem. Yes. So 49th in the country for pay. Right. And the prisons are usually out far removed exactly. from cities, so you're not right. gaining an employment pool that's, that's right. a huge pool. That's right. So the turnover on staff must be unbelievable. Yeah, and the other, the other issue is that... A, Someone pointed out to me once uh, that that for any prisons that are near the border of other states, if there's a, if you're in corrections and there's a prison that you can commute to in Iowa mm. or Kansas, you'll do it. And your pay is better. And your yeah. pay is better. Why wouldn't you do it? Well, maybe now you won't do it because you can get a degree. One would hope, <laughs> right? That that, is, yeah. that that would be an attraction yeah. for people. Oh, right? that's fantastic. Yeah. 
Well, I'm looking at the website here, and it says that you have a thousand people reached every year in the program, right? And 4,500 participants in the program since its inception. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so that's all the students we teach in our courses, yeah. plus everyone who comes to it, because because our speakers' events and our workshops, those are available to anyone. You don't need to apply to SLU yeah. to be a part of those. So that's so we get we have a big impact that way too. So anything else that you feel like the SLU community should know? I think. This prison education program, to me, is the one of the deepest expressions of the university's mission and identity. I mean, what do we do? We, we do education, right? I mean, that's what we're a university first, right? And that's what we can offer. Yeah. And in this case, who do we offer that education to? People on the margins, right? So it's the two pieces, I think, of, of our identity as a university that are, are wedded together in this perfect way. In this, so I think for all those students and, I, and I, alumni who feel that's another thing. I occasionally get calls from alumni who are out there working in various fields and say, "Is there something I can do?" That's I read about this, so there's a real sense I think of the community that, that wants to, that's proud of this, and wants to own it. And I think they they're right to be because I think it does express what we think is special about SLU. That's right. I remember when. Pope Francis came to Philadelphia a few years back, right. and he went to visit the yes. prison, and he gave this little talk on when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Right. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but he said, you know, Jesus washes the feet of the apostles, and he doesn't question them, like, how did you get so dirty? Right. Or where were you? He doesn't right. chastise them right. for being quote-unquote dirty. He simply washes their feet and says, this is what is necessary if we are to be brothers. That's right. And that whole parable for the prison system, I think, is a really beautiful one. And so how that snapshot fits into the SLU mission and identity is identical. Right. You know, why do we do what we do? Well, it's it's not because it's a good thing to go into prisons and have this education program. It's because... These are people who might not otherwise have access to something like That's this. Right. Yeah. It's a perfect match. Yeah. And, it, and it, as we were saying earlier, the transformative effect is as profound for us. So I, I, I very often think of Greg Boyle from Homeboy Industries out yeah. in L.A. talking about trying to resist the narrative of I am the service provider. Yep. And you were the grateful service recipient. And I do this nice thing for you. But that it actually, as he says, it's kinship. It's encounter. And so when you were asking me earlier, what's the best part of this? In a lot of ways, it's that. It's just mm-hmm. that those moments of encounter. I, we did academic advising. You know, we do this once a year. We go down, just check in, see where they are with their classes. And we, we got through it real quickly because they're, they're near the end. It's like three classes to go. There weren't really any hiccups. So I got to you know, just check in with guys. And one of them uh, was one of my favorite students from the first class, just a really um, sweet-natured guy who was just showing me pictures of his kids. We got through it, and he's like, so how are you doing? He's like, well, hang on, hang on. And he, <laughs> and he got they, they can have tablets in the uh-huh. prison. And so he, he got out his thing, and we just started scrolling through mm-hmm. the picture. These are, you know, this is, you know, so-and-so, and this is, she's in college right now, and this is my grandson. And, and again, but for the fact that he's in a gray uniform, and I'm not, this was an utterly ordinary human encounter. And something else he said that really stuck with me, he said this this one's in college. This is my daughter. She's in college right now. She's not sure she wants to finish. And I keep telling her, if your dad can do this, right? Next week, we went down to do academic advising with the staff students. 
and I'm talking to one of the staff students. And and I, when I showed up, she was sitting out in the in the waiting area with her husband and three kids having some pizza. I think they brought a pizza over to eat before she went into class that night, right? And I was asking her what she wants to do next, and she said, "Well, you know, I don't know if I'll, if I'll continue. As you saw, I've got these three little kids. That's kind of a full time job. This is my me time right now. I'm really loving this." They said the biggest thing for me is that when they go to college, I'll be able to say, your mother did this, right? So I think of the impact we might be having long term. Because the generational impacts of incarceration are clear. And so maybe there's, I I hope that there's this little ripple effect on that there are kids out there who are not even thinking about college who, when they get there now, may have a different future because of this. That's fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for this. Thank you, sister. This is yeah, I always if, love to talk about it. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. So if folks want more information or they want to see if they could get involved, can they just email you? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Paul yeah. Lynch at, at slu.edu. That's right. Great. And where's your office? It's in Adorjan Hall, 232. All right. Yeah. So just if anyone's interested and wants to know more about it, email me anytime. And for our point, this is about uh, how the mission of SLU matters. So the mission lives out there in the hallways and the office two doors down from you and the person you passed on your way to coffee. So where you're seeing the mission, let us know about it, because that's what we want to highlight. So thanks so much, and until next time. Amen.